This is the Truth Booth, and I am your host, Gordon Tamayo. Welcome to the spot where we go head to head with some of the most difficult conversations. We're talking about the type that sometimes can't even be discussed at the dinner table. We're not welcome in the institutional setting, or maybe can't even be discussed with the best friend. Everything from spirituality, sexuality, religion, politics, music, culture, family, and so much more. Get ready for some uncut and raw conversation that helps us get to the truth of the matter because we believe that the truth will set you free. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to the Truth Booth. Gordy Tamayo here. I got a special guest on board, a good friend, a wonderful soul, and I'm so excited to get him on board to talk shop a little bit about his background, how it ties into today's culture, and really the relevance behind what this whole theme is, which is getting to the truth of the matter in various segments. So without further ado, let me go ahead and bring on board here Mr. Rod Mitchell. Welcome, Rod. How you doing, oh, brother? I'm good, Gordy. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. Okay. Better now that I got to see you. So thanks for jumping on board here with me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Now I'm stoked. Well, here, Rod, for those that, that don't know you, I want to give you an opportunity, one, to give a little bit of a backdrop behind who you are before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of everything here. But I, I do want to give you a little bit of an introduction and just say Rod is an award-winning producer, amongst many other things. You have quite an extensive background, both in the technology sector, in business, in film, and man... I didn't even know half the things I knew about you until not too long ago. So the more that comes out, the more I'm just kind of amazed by the life that you've been able to live up to this point. And I think it's been pretty impactful with, you know, you going forward and what you do. Share with us if you could, if you would just give audiences a brief synopsis, if you would, about who you are, where you come from, a little bit of your background. I was uh, born in the 50s, grew up in the 60s and the 70s. Um, came from a pretty, I had a real kind of troubled childhood and, um, but, uh, but I was pretty aggressive about finding, uh, a better life and, and how could I do that and so on. And, and so, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to just be the way I was raised, but, and, and I, I wanted something bigger and better. So series of things happened. I ended up being in theater in, in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And, uh, I, I, I found, uh, it was like a home to me and, uh, it was an outlet and a vehicle for a bigger, better life. I thought at the time mm -hmm. it was good for me. Also, I was happy there. It was a real feeling of community. This is all through my teen years. And it led to a lot of adventures, uh, going to summer stock around the country and, and doing a lot of things that that I never would have been able to do had I just been an average, ordinary little American kid. It, when it came time to graduate high school, uh, I I by then my dream in life was to become a movie star, and um, the the notion of being a movie star I, I was I was going to get rich. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to succeed and get rich. Yeah, the Hollywood so, dream. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna gonna become a movie star, and and uh, I I knew, uh, for example, a guy named Nick Nolte. He's you know past his prime now, but yeah. you know he he was established here. And I, at first it was slow going, and then I started to do really well. I got a really good agent, and I had a personal manager who had been with William Morris and so on. And but I was also 
getting more and more troubled. I was getting involved in things and lifestyles that were pretty bad. And in terms of, I, I, I always wanted answers. And I believe that sort of psychology and therapy and, and all that sort of thing was the way to go. And that eventually I'd find, you know, an avenue to become sane because it wasn't all that sane. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, like I said, so, and it was confusing because I had a friend come out and visit me and he said, you look terrible. And I, said, and I, I just sort of blurted it out. I said, I said, I've sacrificed so much and worked so hard. And the closer I become to, I get to success, the more terrified I feel that it's not going to be worth all the hope mm-hmm. I put into it, all the hard work, all the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Long story short, uh, I met some people. There was something about them that really drew me, that I really liked. They were very different from the type of people in the world that I lived in. And, and I can add that the, the spirit of Hollywood is very, very different than the spirit that I came from. Mm-hmm. in community theater and summer stock and repertory and regional theater and all that you know it's it's just every man for himself you uh you know you're there to become a star and you, you're gonna lose a lot of friends when you do how was that transition if you would or how was that culture shock of going into one was, particular dynamic into the other yeah that was really part of the problem it was just it was just a lonely life and, and it, it really is doggy dog i mean they you know people would argue differently i'm sure now, and I, you know, I've been out of that for such a long time. I don't know what it's like now, but it was like that then. That was one of the things that was disturbing. I remember at one point I was on a cattle call for a TV show at Universal. I'm sitting there looking at all these girls lined up, you know, in the chair with the low necklines and the short skirts and looking just lonely and uncomfortable and weird. And and I just, the thought came into my mind, what self-respecting person would belong be a part of something like this why yeah why am i here what what am i doing here you know yeah and uh so like i said i guess it was a way out but the way out wasn't you know but i didn't know what else there was you know like i said long story short i went up to these friends house and i had an experience and uh it was how they presented it to me the way they presented it to me was radically different than anything i could have imagined and it was perfect for me you know, I want to elaborate or ask you to elaborate a little bit on on that point because you said you came to a point a crossroad where you had an experience that drastically altered you know your life but up until that point that wasn't the only experience per se that you had had right up to this point in your life and so being in this culture that you lived oh, yeah. in you were bombarded by all all kinds of schools of thought and philosophies of life etc all of that from what I'm gathering for from from you here, it didn't quite hit the mark. It didn't quite hit home. It didn't quite give you this sense that, oh, this, this is true or this is real. Right. right. Can you elaborate a little bit? Yeah. I, you know, I was at the time, there were a lot of psychologies um, going around Primal Scream, Est, um, I forget some of the other ones. And I was going to see a therapist at the time. And uh, I really just believe I had an instinct that somehow you had to get all your stuff out, the stuff mm-hmm. that in you had to get rid of it or get it out of you, you know, these emotions and so on. And, and you had to come to grips with them. And I always kind of felt like I was looking for a lightning bolt or a ray, you know, a revelation or something. And certainly Christianity did not have had no appeal to me at all. It was just uh, just another religion that didn't have anything to do with real life. 
you know, I didn't I had no idea how would somebody like me become a Christian. I, I couldn't fathom how that would could possibly ever happen. So it wasn't on the menu, so to speak. And 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 I worked hard. You know, I mean, I and I was I had a lot of I had enough faith to find a therapist who didn't charge me, <laughs> who, who was a really nice guy, and and in some ways was a was a help to me. I was getting desperate. I was just getting frustrated and desperate and trying this and trying that, reading this book, talking about that and, and, and all that and just nothing. And, and of course, you know, I was living the Hollywood lifestyle and that's, uh, I don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, well t- tell that for listeners, for somebody who maybe doesn't understand what that is. What, what is that? What is the Hollywood lifestyle? It's a pretty immoral world, you know, as far as sex, sex is concerned and, drugs and all those and it's pretty much anything goes yeah you, you, a lot of that's hidden you don't know you know mm-hmm. all that, that goes on <clears throat> and of course it's probably much worse now than it was back back in the 70s it was still america was still fairly conservative in terms of morality and all that now i'm sure you know with with where america is with regard to morality and and that's really kind of a kind of a point uh you know, that to me is worth making is that I was a, I was a rebel and I, my, my idea was I'm not hurting anybody. And, uh, the girls that I have these flings with, they're consenting and they're into it and I'm into it. What's, what's wrong with it? It's interesting. That was actually one of the things that deep down inside sort of troubled me because, uh, the girl at the time that I had this experience, the girl I was living with, wanted to have she just called an open marriage meant that we were living together and had a relationship quote unquote but we were supposed to be free to go out and carry on with other people and that really bothered me and i didn't want to do it but when she pressured me about that i didn't have a good reason because if whatever feels good is how you live sure then where what is the standard you're living by right if that's the basis for your life. Yeah. If there aren't any absolutes, mm-hmm. as far as morality is concerned, if there are none, then uh, anything goes. Right. And uh, when all of a sudden something inside of you says, "I, you know, this is wrong and I don't want to do it, uh, you don't have a justification for that because you're not, there's no standard by which, you know, there's no right and wrong, quote unquote. It's hard to describe when you're searching and you're trying different things and nothing's working and. How do you, you know, navigate that? Yeah, how do you, how do you right. find out what's true? How do you know what the what absolutes there are? Right, you know? and that's a that's a great question because I think so many people attempt to find that out whether it's through a substance or a philosophy of life that they're being taught and trained to believe that it's true. How do you decipher amongst the whole mix of things? Yeah. And for somebody like yourself who you know, had lived this proverbial Hollywood lifestyle with, you know, sex, drugs, alcohol, you name it, all of a sudden coming to a point in your life. And I know we haven't dove into it quite yet, which I want to get there. But for somebody who might be saying, oh, this person latched on to, you know, Christianity because it is a moral law that they were able to then define certain things in their life that were troublesome to them. But what would you say to that, to somebody that says it's just a moral law? Oh, yeah. And and that's kind of one of my sort of pet peeves. And I get in trouble for this. <laughs> I wasn't searching to become a moral person. Right. 
that was not what was what was topmost in my mind. I wanted an answer to life. I wanted to understand where where these deep troubles that that I had and that a lot of people I knew had, and that the world has in general. What causes all this trouble? And I, I didn't see that you know becoming more or less moral really had much to do with those kinds of questions. Hmm. So when I went up to the house and I said, you know, you people are into something and what are you into? And and they would tell some stories about people getting happy or changing or being transformed and all that. And all that sounded really good because it was just stories from real people's lives, but it wasn't the five rules, the book, the presentation, the, the ultimate truth or, or whatever. This is really important to me because, and this is something that, that uh, I just drive tent pole down. And this is something that I want to say. They said to me, what we do is you have, we'll put a hand on our head, on your head. We'll put a hand on your head. Something will happen to you. And then you'll know what the answer to life is. Yeah. Had you ever heard that before? That kind of language being used in some way, shape or form? Not at all. Nor, nor do have most people ever heard that. And that's uh, kind of, what I want to say, because how in the world can you get from a point of believing a whole set of beliefs? How can you go from that to believing a whole new set of beliefs that mm-hmm. are completely different from mm-hmm. what you are used to living and believing? How do you do that? And it, can you just decide? Can you just get up in the morning and say, well, I'm going to take everything that I've believed, all the ways that I've lived my life and all the rules and regulations and principles that I've lived by toss them out the window and adopt a whole bunch of new ones that I don't even understand. So that's what happened. They started praying and and I didn't know what that was. And uh, I didn't know this was Christianity anyway. They never said, this is Christianity or we're going to convert you or the truth about is God and Jesus. They never used the name Jesus. And I can go into all the whys and wherefores of that, but but thank God they did because I think it would have shut me down if I'd heard that. But the fact that they said something could happen to me, and then I would know what the answer to life was, had an incredible appeal. I mean, think about it. Sure. Yeah. You know, you've spent years and years reading books and da, 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 and then all of a sudden somebody says to you, you know, in an instant, you'll know what the answer to life is. You'll know mm-hmm. what the answer You'll have yeah. it. It's an enticing proposition. Yeah. And so I, you know, I said, well, God, I got nothing to lose. Let's, okay, let's do it. <laughs> let's go for it. But I can I will tell you that when it was over, because it lasted, the experience that I had lasted went over a period of six hours. And when it was done, I was a brand new human being, completely changed. And uh, some of the terrible things that had happened to me when I was a child were I relived them and they were, you know, ministered to as a word we use. And I didn't know what that was either. And I that's, you know, what that means and how that works as a whole. It's a whole other thing. I, so I said to them, I said, you mean, <laughs> I said, you mean to tell me this, this is Christianity? <laughs> I said, <clears throat> they said, well, it's, this is Jesus is the answer. And, and I knew that I understood what they meant by that because during the course of this praying, they would use the name of Jesus and I would have these visceral and intense reactions, both positive and negative which was really weird to me because I had never had any particular feelings one way or the other about the name of Jesus and whatever. And yet here I am writhing on the floor and sobbing and crying and laughing and having all these experiences all being prompted by the name of Jesus, which whom I knew nothing about. So, so then it became a process of discovery about 
like what is this thing that's happened to me mm-hmm. and uh and how does it work and you know and what do you do and all that and certain things just became kind of automatic i mean you just know after you have an experience like that that sex is just not on the table anymore yeah. <laughs> except when you're married but right. but it's all part of one package see uh-huh. it's not like oh now i have to live all these rules and regulations and all that yeah I mean, yeah that's involved but sure. but you understand it, it, it so that goes sense. back to the initial question then if christianity is not a moral law or just a set of moral laws that somebody can adhere to to you know live a good life then what is it what is it that you experienced what was that that and that's a great question and it's very very simple to answer there is a place that's outside of this world and it's a real place only it's hidden from us because we're saturated and imbued with the dynamic and the spirit and the and the physical substance of this world and how it all works Mm -hmm. and there are powerful strong seemingly indestructible motivations and principles that operate in this world and that make this world run the way that it does, which includes things like there isn't enough for everybody. So the ones, the strong ones have to compete and get the stuff and the rest are just going to have to do the best they can. <laughs> now that's a, that's a principle by which this world operates. Yeah. So that in of itself, you got to ask yourself, what's wrong with this picture? Why is it like this? How come? And then those who have more and who are prettier and, and are richer and are more powerful have more value as human beings than those who don't. And then you have to ask yourself, how does that work? Why is it that way? Why is it that people that are low man on the totem pole have to go through all this stuff to accrue value for their existence? Mm-hmm. Their existence, when they start out there in Bangladesh or something, these people have no value. Mm-hmm. No one cares. People will take up collections and they'll send the collections over to Bangladesh. And nine times out of 10, it won't change anything. They'll keep on starving and being poor and all that sort of thing. But, you know, the rich Countries will keep on giving and it keep on won't do any good. And, you know, sometimes it'll help and this and that. But by and large, the whole system has a has a whole uh, structure about it. Yeah. That is when you really sit down and ask yourself some honest, simple questions, you say, why? Yeah. Why is it like this? This yeah. is crazy. It's nuts. And so when you have an experience from another dimension, when that other dimension comes in, and you experience that, you realize that there's this kind of war going on, this kind of contest. Yeah. And I'll tell you straight out that what makes it sort of hard is the temptation of this world is kind of, oh, if only I had this, if only I got that, if only I did this, then everything would be fine. And the honest to God truth is, even when you get all that stuff, yeah. everything's still not fine. Right. <laughs> But right. that's because you don't have this other thing yeah. or the more of that or the whatever. And or, you know, I find I watch, you know, because I still I'm still sort of fascinated by movie stars, watching them get old. 
Mm-hmm. And I even ask myself, you know, when I look at the life that I've been given uh, and that I have had the grace and good fortune to have been given, and I ask myself if I'd had the movie star life and if I was sitting there, you know, old and decrepit and all that and had a, you know, a bunch of movies sitting on a shelf or something. And that was my life compared to what my life has been. There's no contest. I would just say how pathetic for, to me to but say. It sounds like then that there was a visible flipping of everything in your life from the experiences that you had previously experienced and how they measured up against this new encounter that completely demolished, right? Anything previous up to this point. And as you mentioned earlier, the whole paradigm shift that you had to have gone through really caused you to question everything, which tells you that this experience that you're going through, it's it's not your everyday encounter. There's something completely different from it, which if it's radically different, then there has to be something to it. And so you begin to say, well, this is not the, the, the normal thing. So what I would say is this. I would say that my mission in life is to, is to change the dialogue mm-hmm. from right-wing political moral righteousness and or to, you know, or uh, do whatever feels good. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the polls you know it's kind of polarity really Uh either you know eat drink and be merry and you know do whatever you feel like and whatever Uh or this other redneck republican moral shtick so you're not a republican you're saying (laughs) this is not this is not a political thing i get you yeah but 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 the problem is, is that as long as the dialogue about this mm-hmm. runs in these lanes, nobody's ever going to get anywhere. You will not. Mm-hmm. Because how can you get yourself to, and, and this happened to me, I had a conversation, the guy threw up his hands and, and said, oh, well, I guess you just have to believe. And I, and I went, no, no, my, there is a real God who's active in my life and who has one my heart i want to ask you on that on on that i know you you have a lot more to say on god winning your heart over but i want to ask you this question and i don't know if you've ever been asked this before how is this god able to win your heart versus you know a krishna a buddha an allah satan whatever little g god out there that entices people uh, even in these circles that you used to run in, there's a there's a war being waged for the affections and the hearts yeah. of mankind. And while some people may, during pockets of their life, experience this tugging of something winning their heart over, you had the God, Jesus, win your heart right. in such a way that it ripped you from the grasp of these other ones. Yes. Um, well, what I would say is a couple things. Number one, I personally am not on a crusade or a mission to convert anybody to anything. Sure. That's that's just not in my on my playbook or menu or whatever. I don't I don't think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, people get something out of what they believe, and unless you're willing to fundamentally question where you are and what you believe yourself, mm-hmm. you have to start that way. Yeah. Somebody come along and attack your belief system. And, you know, uh, uh, just as in the form of an attack, I believe is wrong. 
I think what we need to do, those of us who've had this experience, is to live our lives in such a way that people will come to us hmm. and say, what is it about you? Why are you the way you are? Why, why do you feel the way you feel? How did you get there? And then I'll say to them, first and foremost, I, we can talk about it and we can discuss it. And that might open your mind and your heart to ser- sort of a, a permissive openness that you wouldn't have had before. But you mm-hmm. must have an experience. And that's kind of what I want to, what I'm trying to get at here is I'm trying to elaborate on this experience that you had that you describe as God winning your heart over. How was he able to win your heart over in such a way that no other deity on the planet could have? Well, all I can say, I've never had an experience with Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, whatever. Never had an experience with any of those mm-hmm. gods, beliefs or whatever. Um, I delved into the closest thing I, I sort of delved into was Zen Buddhism. That appealed to me for a lot of reasons. And I sort of tried it. Meditation a little bit. You know, uh, I tried. It just never did anything. Nothing happened. Nothing. I never got anything really substantial out of it. However, when these people prayed, I had an experience where, first of all, let me say this. There's another thing about this. If you are of the persuasion that absolute truth is that there is no such thing as spirituality or a human spirit, Mm -hmm. then we can't communicate. We will never communicate. If you can't allow the notion that there's physical and there's spiritual and they are not, spiritual is not the chemicals in your brain. It is not. And and so if you challenged me and said, you know, this is all just chemicals in your brain, then I would say, and then I would go on and I'd say, well, how is it that people can foretell the future in unmistakable ways? How how is it that dead that people can die on an operating table and recite conversations that they heard when their spirit left their body and they heard these come, you know, there's yeah. all sorts of uh, reasons to at least uh, acknowledge the possibility that there is a spiritual aspect to life. That's important. And when I had the experience, my spirit came alive in ways, and I had experiences, which, and I have since then had many experiences, which can only be described as supernatural. Mm-hmm. However, let me say this that while it, they are supernatural, they are very relevant to the nitty gritty of life. So it might be out there, wow, wild and crazy. Sure. But they affect the love that I have for my wife. Yeah. And they make me a better father and a better employee. And I do a better job at work. And I have this thing called love. And that's really where this begins to stir because there's this notion of what is love and where does it come from? And I would say that when you when you say God won your heart, what do you mean? I would answer you that there I had an experience of love which was not of this world, and that won my heart. And so when we talk about love without this other dimension, we're really talking about a selfish, self self kind of thing. I love you. Why? Because you love me. You make me feel good. You feel my needs. Therefore, I love you. But when you have an experience of love and you don't merit that love, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know good and well you don't, (laughs) then that shakes you. Yeah. 
it rocks your world. That would probably be a good descriptor. I'm guessing, I don't want to assume here, but when you're having this six hour long experience, so you're invited up to a place where some people that you don't know, they're Christian. They're just saying they have something that's going to give you the answers to life, that they're going to put their hands on you, pray for you, and you're just going to know. Six hours later, you're going through an experience where things are happening to you, where you're experiencing this love that is not of this world. It wasn't something you could describe physically that you've experienced before, uh, mentally, emotionally. There was something else taking place within your soul, I'm guessing, is what it sounds like, that yeah. you're saying, wow, like this is a love that is that is not something I merit. It's not something that I could have constructed, and it's not something that I've ever experienced before. The, hence the reason why your heart was one. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the other thing that comes to mind, really, which, you know, you when you dwell in an area that I don't always every day remember, go back and remember, one of the amazing things that happens to you is that you discover all of these elements that are inside of you, which you didn't even know were there, like your soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You discover that you have a soul. Yeah. And that's really wild. Yeah. And then you discover that you have a spirit. Mm. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Because because you automatically know when you discover that you have a soul and a spirit, you automatically know that you are you are an eternal creation. Mm. You don't have to convince yourself and talk yourself into believing that while your body may die, you will live for eternity where you'll spend eternity is another question. <clears throat> but you will live for eternity because the spiritual realm is without is beyond death. Death is involved in getting you there and all that, and that's a whole thing. But it's pretty wild. It's like you wake up. It's like you come mm. awake. Yeah. It's like most of you is asleep. Mm. Then you have this experience, and now it's all awake. Yeah, that's the Acts twenty six eighteen. Yeah. So, so what I'm trying to, my, my, my hunger desire is to stop this notion that Christianity is right wing mm -hmm. Republican morality. Mm -hmm. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, it is morality. And I, you know, I've had, so as soon as I say that people, I get attacked that I'm immoral and I believe in whatever, and I'm not immoral, but I'm moral because the God that I'm in connection with, that's part of his nature. And if mm -hmm. I want to hang out with him, I got to become moral. Mm -hmm. That's just how it is. Sure. You, know, you can't stay married to somebody who has values and principles that you are in opposition with. Yeah. You're going to have to make a choice. Yeah, you don't get to make the rules as you go along. Exactly. There are a set of rules. And, you know, you're free to choose. Mm -hmm. Let's not let's not be. Uh, right. that. About that. Yeah, um, you're, you're free to choose. That what you're not free to choose are the consequences of your choices. Right, right. That you can't choose. Yeah. So when Christians start warning people, listen, you're getting, you've got a kind of a freedom that you think is really cool, but there's a there's a price to that. Mm. You won't reap it right away. So um, how do you come to the knowledge of the truth? and maintain on that trajectory in a world that's constantly combating for our allegiance to be switched. Ask, How do you do that? 
I think I think the first thing that I would tell anybody is develop a, a respect for truth and honesty and realism um, and ask questions that are uncompromising without a personal bias. It goes like this. Human, human nature is duplicitous in the extreme. If I want to live my life a certain way, if I want certain things, I got to do things a certain way. Therefore, I want to look for everything that's going to support mm-hmm. that decision you know, come hell or high water, I'm going to, that's just human nature. Right. But what we're, what genuine Christians are saying is, hold on a minute, you know, you may not want to go that way. Mm-hmm. There could be some truth to life, which at the time is not so pleasant. Sure. <laughs> but in the long run, it's better for you. And you will, you will end up being glad. It's like, it's, it's really like raising children. The kid says, I think about this all the time. My son used to, like I tell him, he's biting my wife. I said, stop that. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I don't want to. And he bites her again. I said, if you don't stop this, you're going to go into your room and have a timeout. And he goes, watch this. And he goes and bites her again. So I pick him up. I'm not, I didn't slap him. I wasn't cursing or anything like that. I said, okay, timeout. Well, he went ballistic. And he was turned beet red and he was screaming and yelling. He was in a rage because I told him no. Mm-hmm. And, and I said to him, what's the matter with you? I said, why are you so angry? He says, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. I said, what do you mean it's my fault? He said, because you said I couldn't do that. That's You made me mad. It's your fault. You're <laughs> bad. So give a kid a no and their automatic emotional reaction is you don't love me. Mm-hmm. Because if you love me, you'd let me do this crazy, nutty thing, mm. which I'm doing. Mm. So the whole notion of becoming into maturity is acknowledging and understanding that and accepting the notion that we are flawed in our nature. Our, there is something flawed in our nature. Mm. And, the, and the reason why Christians are always, when they tell their story, they always hit a brick wall. They're always saying, you know, blah, blah, blah. and the reason for that is because nobody really changes until they're so desperate. They're willing to, you see, oh, they have to, yeah, you have to, or you yeah. can't, you're going to die if you keep this, keep this right. up. And so then you have an experience and then you backtrack and mm-hmm. go back to say, Oh, I was wrong to begin with, but people aren't willing to consider that until it gets so right. bad that they're willing to. Yeah. The consequence comes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Fortunately for us, we have the glorious freedom to see how flawed we are and to forgive ourselves for that, Mm -hmm. which provides a context for a Messiah salvation kind of notion. And and we can be thankful for it because it actually works. Yeah, because it's not from us, for one. Exactly. It's not from us. Yeah, which is kind of polar opposite to what our culture depicts right like we have we live in a a world that says you can do what you want to do be what you want to be construct what you want to construct you can put on whatever identity that you want to put on and and that's truth that's your truth that's your love that's your real life scenario of what we're living in today where you can literally construct anything that you want to but in this other i don't want to call it a worldview i want to say in, in this truth that we're calling christianity here it's the God that predates anything and everyone who's coming in, intervening in a life and transforming it according to what his design was from the inception. 
that's radically different. It is from what we. So to go back to your original question, I would say, I would tell people, I'd say, if be willing to consider things and look at possibilities that may not be so appealing to you right now, Mm -hmm. but be vigorous about that. Be Mm. honest about it. You know, I know people and I've dealt with people who've said, okay, you know, I'm just not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. I say, okay. You know, I understand. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, I think God is far more impressed with that than he is. That's more honest and more truthful than. That's hot or cold versus lukewarm. Yeah. Than concocting some big, you know, thing that gets you off the hook kind of thing. Yeah. Excuse. An excuse, really. Yeah. So, so that's. That would be the answer. And but but most importantly, I think for me, if I can sit down with people and say, look, I understand and I fully understand. The problem is, is that when people say no to Christianity, a lot of what they're saying no to, I would say no to as well. Mm-hmm. But that's not Christianity. Sure. Yeah. So the it gets pretty confusing and twisted and deceptive and fruitlessly uh, negative uh, confusion mm-hmm. because we're arguing about things as if they were Christianity, but they aren't Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's not what Christianity mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And the notion that, you know, God is this tyrant in the sky who's just so pissed off at everybody that he can't wait to zap them. Uh, and there's a lot of other theological notions that just, I'm sorry, they're not true. Yeah. Well, even the language that you've been using in some degrees, right? You're talking about dimensions, experiences. Those are even things that in many circles are taboo, right? And we're afraid of even navigating to that area. So you get people that are looking at this and saying, well, if this is what it is, I can get that over here smoking a blunt. I can get this over here, you know, chasing tail. Why would I want that? Yeah. And so I, so I get what you're saying. Yeah. We've, we've minimized it. Yeah. The thought that comes to mind is, uh, you know, the boy says to the girl, you know, you, you meet this girl and she sets your heart aflutter and you're all, you know, excited and you just can't live without her. And so you get married. And then when you get married, there are decisions that have to be made down the road, mm-hmm. uh, which are part and parcel of this whole thing that you've chosen to to be a part of. And Christianity is like that. When I say that God won my heart, he won my heart. That doesn't mean I always want to do what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, sure. Because lots of times I don't, but I'm smart enough to come around to a realistic decision of the price I'll pay if I don't. Yeah. You know, and I got no choice over that. The fruit of of, uh, being unfaithful to my wife is not a price I I intend to pay at all Mm. because I love her. And when I think about, you know, betraying her trust and like that, it's just too painful to consider. I'd never do it. Yeah. Even though this woman is attractive, even though whatever. And then again, I guess the final thing I'd say, and I know you know this, I, I know because I know you, I've gotten to know you well. I have just huge respect for you and what you're doing and your family and your fathering of your kids or, you know, you as a husband and so on, is that you gradually begin to build an identity that you feel really good about. Mm-hmm. You're flawed. You acknowledge your flaws. You know that you need to overcome them and all. You're not a perfect human being by any means. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, you 
kind of got a lot of fruit in your life, mm-hmm. you know, that makes you feel good when you, when you think about it, That's it right. was given to you by grace right? Exactly. as an unmerited favor, mm-hmm. but it was given to you yeah. and you did receive it. It is a mm-hmm. part parcel of your existence now. I want to sit down with people and begin to engage with them and let them hear another side to this kind, know that there's another way to have this conversation. I want to give you a, a big thank you for jumping on board again and sharing okay. your time, sharing your, sharing your wisdom, your experience with us. I think we just uh, barely cracked the surface of really what I want to get into. So we'll definitely warmed up here, Gordy. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're just getting warmed up. That's so true. Well, right. Thank you, Rod, for joining once again, jumping on the truth booth. Looking forward to chopping shop with you again and picking your brain on some more stuff. Thank you so much for joining. Okay, Gordy. Take care.